Well, good evening and welcome to Central, where we seek the transformation of our lives, our community, and the world through the renewing work of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. My name is Charles Godwin. I am one of the pastors here at Central, and for those worshiping with us in person as well as those online, we are glad you've joined us this evening. Our text tonight is John chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. You can find that in your worship folder and follow along. You also can look at page 900 of the Pew Bible. This holy week, we are studying John's gospel and passages there about the last week of Christ's life. Tonight, we celebrate Holy Thursday or Maundy Thursday, the final hours of Jesus's life before his arrest and subsequent crucifixion, in which the gospel accounts conversations and things that happened in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples. Here again, after the meal, we witness a loving, tender moment where the master Jesus serves his disciples. He not only serves them a meal, but he washes their feet. He gives them a picture of what he is about to do for them and a call to love others as he has loved us. Tonight, we're going to look at the beginning section of John 13. This chapter begins a new section in John's gospel. It's often called the Upper Room Discourse. It's a significant portion of John's gospel. In fact, it's several chapters, but it all happens in the final few hours of Jesus's life, right before his arrest and subsequent crucifixion. So let me pray for us. And then I'll read the scriptures. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us soft hearts. Help us not to harden our hearts and help us to see Jesus. How great his love is for us and move us to love. To love you and to love others, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. 
Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that's why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. The one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I recently read about a collision in the mid-1980s between two ships in the Black Sea off the coast of Russia. Many passengers died. An investigation into the accident revealed the dark and sad truth about what had caused the accident. It wasn't a radar malfunction. It wasn't bad weather. The cause was human pride. Each captain was aware of the other ship's presence nearby. Both could have steered clear, but according to news reports, neither captain wanted to give way to the other. Each was too proud to yield first, and by the time they came to their senses, it was too late. Now, we may moan. We may shake our heads at this sad story. It is sad. But I'm pretty confident that we would act, that we have acted just like these two captains We're not naturally humble people. We're not natural servants, and neither are the disciples. They are not the ones in our passage who get up and begin washing each other's feet. Nor do they relieve Jesus of the job when he he begins it. In fact, they question him, but they don't offer to take over. What Jesus does here is an amazing act of self-sacrifice and love that really foreshadows his upcoming humbling of himself by dying on a cross for sinful, broken people like you and me and for our broken world. Jesus is not all of a sudden changing his message. John is not all of a sudden changing his message about Jesus, which is that we would believe in Jesus alone and have life in him. But he is giving us a picture of the life we have in Jesus. It is a changed life. 
It is a changing life. It is a life of love, not perfect, but active love for other sinful, broken people and our broken world. In this act of self-sacrificial love, Jesus is teaching his disciples and us to seek his kingdom, to lay aside our kingdoms and love other sinful, broken people, places, and things to life. As we look at this passage, we're going to examine for a few moments how Jesus loves, and then we will talk about our response, how he loves. In our text, we read in verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So here we have Jesus. He knows what's coming, right? He could be resting to prepare for what's ahead. But instead, he ekes out just a little more time with his disciples because he loves them. And so when they're reclined around the table... Jesus gets up and he takes off his outer garment. He wraps a towel around his waist. He takes the wash basin and he begins to wash their feet. The love Jesus displays here is odd in a number of ways. But if we're to love others similarly, we need to take a few minutes tonight to think about it. The first odd thing about Jesus' love here is that he's washing their feet. I don't know about you. I'm not a big fan of feet. In my opinion, they're kind of gross, ugly, um, sometimes smell. You know, you can take a shower, you can wash your whole body, but the minute you step out of the shower, your feet are the first part of you to get dirty. Now, Don't get me wrong, I'm glad there are people who seem to like feet. Pedicurists, podiatrists, I guess they do, um, but I'm not one of them. And in this passage, the master, our savior, Jesus, he does this incredibly humble thing. He washes his disciples' feet. I want you to imagine they're reclined at the table. And when they would recline at the table, it was really on the floor. And they would sort of sit with their legs off to the side, but their feet were behind them. And Jesus gets up and he walks behind them and stoops down and starts to wash their feet. It's odd. It was odd to them, it's odd to us too, but it was odd to them because secondly, a master or a teacher culturally would never do this. Disciples or students, they wouldn't do it for one another or for their teacher. Not even a Jewish slave would wash someone's feet. They would get a Gentile slave to do it. One scholar wrote that there is, quote, not one single ancient account where a superior washed the feet of an inferior except John 13. It's such an odd situation that Peter finally speaks up, which he tends to do, right? Lord, do you wash my feet? 
Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter then exclaimed, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. It's odd in another way, too. And it's this, Jesus washes the feet of his betrayer. Verse 2, we read, during supper when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing the Father, had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, he took a towel, tied it around his waist, he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, all of them. After Peter's exclamation in verse 10, Jesus says, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that's why he said, Not all of you are clean. Friends, this is not a natural love. It's not a natural love. We don't love like this. But Jesus does. Makes me think of Paul's words to the Romans, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This act of self-sacrificial love is odd. Jesus washes his betrayer's feet. And just a few short hours later, Jesus goes on to lay down his life for betrayers like you and me. This love that is odd to our sensibilities, man, it is an amazing, lasting love. In Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, the character Jean Valjean is released from prison. He's befriended by a priest and takes refuge in the church. And one evening, he steals the silver from the church and runs. Well, the police capture him. And when they bring him back to the church, the priest, the offended party, not only forgives Valjean, but he gives up his possessions and lets him keep the spoils. The priest's love, it's just a dim shadow of the atoning love of Jesus. It really was fairly easy for him. One scholar writes, quote, the atoning love of Jesus cost him everything. The one, think about this, the one whom we've offended forgives our sins by giving up his life, and then he gives us the spoils. He gives us his righteousness and his riches. It is an amazing, lasting love. The scholar goes on to say this, quote, teaching his people to love was one of Jesus's overall purposes in the upper room discourse. Specifically, Jesus was saying to his people, if you want to be my servants, if you want to grow in this authentic aspect of discipleship, if that's what you really desire, you must allow your hearts to deepen in love. So I ask you, 
Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to grow in love? With that in mind, let's talk about our response. As we said earlier, John's not, he's not going off script here. He's not changing the message to one that says, Jesus will only love you if you love others. His purpose for his gospel has not changed. He wants us to believe in Christ, to believe that we need cleansing. And if Christ, the only clean one, does not cleanse us, then we will not be clean. You've heard me say this before, but all of us are capable of all sin. We don't all sin in all ways, but we're capable of all sin. And we all sin. All of us are unclean, broken, sinful in various ways. But no matter the extent, we're still unclean. And we need the perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. His sacrificial act of love to clean us. If you've never believed, but tonight you realize you are unclean and you need cleansing, you realize you are sinful and broken and you need restoring, I invite you to believe in Jesus, believe in Christ. What he has done is all that you need. Now, if you believe in Christ, You are being changed. Your sinfulness and your brokenness are being restored. And one of the things that's being restored that should be changing about you is that you are becoming a self-sacrificial, humble, loving servant of others. Now this, please don't hear me, this is not a be like Jesus application because that's too much. It's too much. You can't do it. I can't do it in and of my own strength. John writes this in one of his letters. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I heard a pastor say this. He said, when the fact that you need cleansing and God loves you as unclean as you are, when that gets into your bones... You love. But when you think you're good, when you think you are good, other people become an intrusion. So how do you know you belong to Jesus, he says? Is it your amazing programs? Is it your ministry to the poor? What about great worship? No. It's your love. And a steadfast, lasting love. Christ gives himself away. And we're called to love like that. It's not natural. We all fail 
miserably. So confess your lack of love and selfishness to him and ask him tonight to make his love alive in you. To help you be willing to throw out your schedule, to lay down your agenda for others and what you think they need. To step outside or away from, for a period of time, your comfortable people group and to love others. Even when you have no more to give and even others whom you would not or do not normally or actively spend time with or love. I shared this quote with you before. It's from a book called Same Kind of Different as Me. And in the book, there's this art dealer. His name is Ron. And he becomes friends with this scary homeless man named Denver. Listen what Ron says. To love a man enough to help him, you have to forfeit the warm, self-righteous glow that comes from judging. I heard a story about a fire. It broke out in a home shortly after 8 p.m. on a Monday evening. This was a wood-framed house behind the junior high school in East St. Louis. The house had no smoke detectors. It had no gas heat. Carla Jacobs found herself trapped by the flames and the smoke. She was only 19, year old, 19 years old, and she ran into the bathroom with her seven-week-old son, Dylan. She placed him on his back, face up, in a bathtub. She ran a little bit of water to surround him, and then she used her body to shield her baby, said the fire chief. He went on to say, quote, she's dead because she wanted to save her child. Carla Jacob did not respond to many attempts to resuscitate her, but her baby, tiny Dylan, was alive. The love of this mother is displayed by her covering her child, by her giving her life that he would live. The love of Christ covers you and your multitude of sins so that you have new life and you are called a child of God. Will you trust him to do the same thing for others? Will you show such love? I'll say this again. If you believe in Christ, it's happening. You're being changed. You're being restored. Your sinfulness and brokenness, they're becoming no more. You're becoming more righteous. You do need restoring. And Jesus, listen to this, he delights to restore sinful, broken people like you and me, to redeem us. And one of the things that should be changing about you, being restored in you, is that you are becoming a self-sacrificial, humble, loving servant of others. Now, in order to love this, to pour out your life for others, You need to be washed over and over again by Jesus. Now, before you say, that's heresy, Jesus died once. I want you to listen first to what I don't mean by that statement. What I don't mean is that as you are confronted by your uncleanness, as you are confronted by your lack of love, that you have to go back to Jesus and ask him to love you again. Friends, he doesn't quit loving his children. 
He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you because you're his. He loves you because he took the penalty of your sins to the cross once for all. But what I do mean is this. As his beloved children, we do go back to him. We go back to him over and over. And we confess our sins to him like our lack of love for others. And we do this. We do this to remind our souls that we need his washing and that he washes us. Not because we have it all together. Not because we love well. Not because we're clean. But because we are not clean. And because he delights to show mercy to unclean, broken people like you and me, his children, and to our broken world. So in the words of the writer to the Hebrews, consider and keep on considering Jesus so that you do not grow weary or faint-hearted in your life of love. The story is told about two brothers. They were playing one afternoon on the sandbanks by the river in their hometown. One ran after another up this large mound of sand, but unfortunately the mound was not solid, and their weight caused them to sink quickly. When the boys did not return home for dinner, the family and the neighbors began to look for them. They went down by the river, and they found the younger brother unconscious with his head and shoulders just sticking out above the sand. When they cleared the sand to his waist, he gasped for breath and awakened. And the searchers said, where is your brother? The child replied, I'm standing on his shoulders. With the sacrifice of his own life, the older brother lifted his brother to safety. Friends, that's a picture of the writer's encouragement to us to consider how Jesus loves and in doing so to lift one another to love one another to safety but our active striving to believe our considering Jesus and how he loves although it's of extreme importance we're doing it this holy week it ultimately is not what keeps you safe just as the tangible and sacrificial love of the older brother literally served as the foundation for that younger brother's life, the tangible and sacrificial love of our older brother, Jesus, who was pierced for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities, the tangible and sacrificial lasting love of our older brother, Jesus, is the foundation of our active love for others. In our text with this act of sacrificial love, Jesus is teaching both the disciples and us to seek his kingdom, to lay aside our kingdoms, and to love. To love other sinful, broken people places, and things to life. Well, may God be pleased to make loving people out of selfish people. Let's pray. Our God, that is our prayer, that we would consider you, Jesus, and as we do so, you would enlighten our hearts, you would enliven our hearts with your love, and you would make loving people out of selfish people. 
We pray this in your holy name. Amen.